Blog Talk Radio. One, two, one, two, three, four. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Career Expert Live down here live in Ocean City, Maryland on this rainy and um, difficult night. Wanted to uh, say to everybody, it's uh, going to be an interesting show. Looking forward to discussing sort of myself a little bit and uh, see what you guys think. So this week, we don't actually have a special guest. Uh, The guest itself will be me. And... uh, who knows where this is going to go? I'm going to discuss uh, career successes and failures, and should be um, should be a lot of fun. So let's get right to it, actually, um, and talk about the major news that's occurred over the last week. So basically, we've had um, an interesting Republican debate last week. It's been real interesting. Uh, Donald Trump um, really trumps it, and it's gotten very, very uh, crazy, and he's still leading in the polls. Polls, uh, which is amazing, and I think really what he's doing is he's stating what most uh, people feel, what they're thinking, but I think where he needs to go is getting substance. Um, he's got to really uh, give us specific stuff, and my thinking is that he's probably waiting for the right time to kind of do that, maybe till the field is actually out a little bit less. Um, he's got to start showing something. He seems to kind of continuously repeat himself, we're going to create jobs, build a great wall. That's all fine and good, but you got to give us some some really interesting specifics, uh, and hopefully we'll we'll hear some of that. But nonetheless, um, I think Chris Christie did okay. You know, same thing with Marco Rubio and Carly Fiorina in the earlier, uh, but no one really I think moved the needle. Uh, really need to hear kind of what we're doing on jobs. I didn't get a sense that people really um, really talked about that. A lot of a lot of fluff. But we'll we'll see where this goes. Obviously for the Democrats, I think you know they're just kind of sitting back and enjoying the show. Uh, I think we heard a little bit, too, that Joe Biden would be possibly interested in running. You know, what will he do as sort of the um, the next move? I, we know his son, I believe, asked him to run. I'm not sure he will, um, but I think he's behind the curve right now. You know, I think that's that's the thing is, you know, Hillary's got a lot of momentum, so we'll, we'll sort of see where this goes and uh, go from there. But he's got a lot of ground to catch up. I, personally, I don't think he runs, but you never know. I don't think you can ever, um, ever count him out. But certainly going to be one of the most interesting uh, political races. Uh, it seems like Trump is definitely here to stay for the Republican Party, and uh, we'll see where it goes. So that is the um, debates. And kind of what I think people are wondering is why would we sort of talk about that? But obviously, the biggest thing is jobs creation. A lot of jobs are overseas. We want to know what the candidates are doing and, and kind of thinking. Um, in other news, uh, we haven't really heard too much on the Puerto Rico default that we mentioned last week. They um, have a $58 million debt bill that's actually due, and they paid 628000 so uh, still some serious concerns moving forward. Not sure where that'll go. Uh, the U.S. oil settled at a six-year low of $43.08. Um, I look for gas prices to probably drop a little bit further down the road, but we'll kind of see where that uh, where that goes. And the China um, devalued the yen um, after some weak trade data, and that obviously had a major impact on the U.S. markets. The stock market's been dropping off and on the last couple of days, so... Just pay attention to your kind of stocks, your 401k retirement plans, and make sure you got things locked down pretty well there. Um, biggest news, I think, uh, came out of corporate America is actually Google is doing some restructuring. Uh, no one really saw this coming, um, but I know they've had some failures with, um, you know, with a lot of things with their, um, you know, Google Plus, which is their social network, and previously they had a social network that they kind of bombed. 
Uh, Google Plus is a good social network is actually good for search engine optimization, but it really doesn't do anything of that. I mean, I'm not really out there. I post stuff out there just so it actually boosts things up on the page if you're searching for stuff, but it really doesn't do too much of anything. And it sounds like they're going to start to slowly cut the cord there, um, but maybe they're they're anticipating some drops in revenue growth, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But basically, what Google is actually doing is they've created a company called Alphabet, uh, which I thought was very odd. But later this year, um, Google will actually create a company called Alphabet as a wholly owned subsidiary of itself. And Alphabet will then actually create its wholly owned subsidiary, which will merge uh, with and into Google, um, which leaves Google really is a uh, finance and a direct wholly owned subsidiary of Alphabet. So it's really interesting. Um, and you know, if obviously you can't follow that, it took me a while to kind of figure that out. So Alphabet is actually a collection of companies, according to Larry Page. So I would, ima I would assume and imagine that you'll have Google, you probably have YouTube, that'll be split off a little bit and things like that. But it'll be real, real interesting to kind of see what, what sort of transpires there with Google. Um, and Eric Schmidt will actually be the CEO or chairman emeritus of, um, of the um, Alphabet company. So that'll be, uh, be interesting to see what happens. But more to that down the road. Um, so we have... Um, um, dailyjobcuts.com, which is our provider of daily job cuts, um, gives us uh, various job cuts and things like that. So we got a whole good, uh, pretty list of what's going on the last week. <clears throat> Basically, for daily job cuts, we've had a market actually um, all taken five which is uh, filing for Chapter 11, and it's um, closing down all its stores. Most of you remember the AMP supermarket. Um, Chicago Public Schools District lays off uh, about 204 high school teachers, 275 elementary school teachers, and House.com has laid off 600 people. Uh, CenturyLink, 1,000 jobs. Uh, and they're doing a company-wide restructuring, So, uh, and they're headquartered out of Louisiana. And Keurig Company, which is the big coffee maker, has 200 employees in Vermont. As uh, part of a restructuring, bigger McDonald's is sorry about that, everybody. We actually are having, as I said earlier, some bad storms, and unfortunately had a power outage here, so the power is kind of going in and out a little bit. Uh, so we apologize for that. We'll be able to fix the audio problems or the audio disconnect on the podcast once this becomes a podcast. We'll be able to edit it. But unfortunately, sometimes with live radio and small budgets, that's what uh, that's what happens. Uh, so that is all the main news today. Um, just want to remind everybody that our sponsor, Johnstown Tech Support, uh, is the place to go for all your tech needs. Uh, Johnstown Tech Support believes that computer support should be affordable to everybody from families to small businesses. The owner, uh, Kevin Massiantonio, decided to start Johnstown Tech Support because he really saw a need for affordable computer support. Uh, they provide fast and friendly service to your needs such as residential and business computer services and sales, new computer setups, networking VPN setups, secure wireless network setup for home and business, uh, data recovery for those accidentally deleted files, which we all seem to do, uh, desktop and laptop sales and computer hardware supplies. And they also have a really cool feature for remote desktop support. So you can be on any part of this, uh, this great planet and get support. Uh, contact Johnstown Tap Support today at uh, 888 364-3862 or visit them at johnstowntechsupport.com. And again, they'll offer 15% off remote support if you mention uh, this radio show. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, my career. 
So obviously, uh, I'm the guest this week, kind of turning the tables a little bit and talking about sort of my career summary, uh, where I've gone, uh, what's been successful, what's not worked well, and uh, give you guys some idea of um, what I've been doing. So I think my career can kind of be summed up in two words, and there are two different words, uh, settling and amazing. Um, I originally went into school for film and television production and kind of lost interest in it and uh, really sort of felt um, I should have pursued that and I kind of settled into uh, banking and finance. I really just kind of went for the job, kind of got situated, but I kept sort of in that industry and really instead of trying to find where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do in the film and television production, did a lot of fun film and television. That was my major and that's what I studied and had a lot of interesting stuff going on, but I just didn't really um, pursue it. Um, and, you know, in essence, I packed all the film equipment away and stayed in banking. But it turned out to be a pretty successful career so far. Uh, definitely many ups and downs like everybody. Uh, but I did move from several banks to several banks back in the mid-1990s to early 2000s. There was a lot of consolidation in the credit card world and banking industry. It seemed like every year a bank was merging or shutting its doors or uh, being acquired. So there was a lot of shifting there. Um, and after probably about, um, say, maybe a good 10, 10 years or so in that industry, uh, I decided to take a big risk and take a plunge into the world of IT at the American Red Cross. And I'd never done IT before. It was an area where I felt I could really you know, learn a lot of good skills, back-end skills, had a lot of customer service skills. That's my sort of my main focus, customer service and call centers. And with... Um, with IT, it was a whole different set of challenges, and I contacted a headhunter back in mid-2007, right on the um, heels of us finding out we were expecting our first child, and lo and behold, got a great opportunity with the American Red Cross down in D.C., so I was able to commute via train uh, for about the first year, and then we moved out to Northern Virginia, so I commuted uh, pretty much daily, so a two-hour commute each way. It was a long, made for a long day, but it was a great experience. Um, I think anytime you work in a different environment, I'm originally from the Delaware area, so worked a lot of jobs in Delaware, Philadelphia, and working out of uh, D.C., you know, obviously the heavy charge political environment. Uh, I think I gained a lot of, lot of good skills, um, a lot of uh, sort of um, good collaboration with the Red Cross, uh, definitely some difficult people, but you find that in any company, it really sort of helped me, I think, sort of gain a lot of good confidence and a lot of good, uh, a lot of good skills and able to or be uh, be persuasive in what I needed to do, and really really kind of put you out there in the fire. I think anywhere you work, so I would definitely highly recommend working in the D.C. Northern Virginia area. Definitely is an area that'll help you uh, either sink or swim pretty quickly. And those of you who want to succeed, you definitely want to continue swimming and swim very well. Uh, so after the Red Cross was there for our own IT support uh, moves. Um, Back to a company um, called IP Software, a CRM for Comcast for a while, and then quickly moved over to, uh, to Comcast with the work I did. So did a lot of um, sort of front and back end uh, customer support as well as IT support. So had a lot of experience at, at various companies. And I think in talking about my, my specific career successes that I actually had, um, I think moving up the career ladder quickly is, is a lot of things that I do well at most companies. You know, I started out as a phone rep. I became a team manager within like less than three years, was doing a lot of different side projects. Um, people found I had a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, so I was always called on to step up in new projects or help train people. Uh, so that's one area I'm very proud of. Um, I think when I was originally in customer service, I sort of found a need for not just doing customer service okay. need to do it really well. It really needed to stand out as its own thing. People see customer service as a, as a cost for companies. 
But for me, it was more or less, it could be a way to actually sell your company and say, look, we got the best customer service. So I was actually um, at a company called First Union. This was back in 2000. And First Union was actually selling its um, portfolio and business. And we had a lot of people struggling, a lot of people um, sort of failing, people leaving. And basically, all our customer service went to hell. It was really bad. So I created what I called the Quality Cafe. And very proud because it's something I still actually use. The essence of the program, still use it today, a lot of what I do. But the Quality Cafe is a program where it was a small series of focus groups where I brought employees in. They can actually uh, talk to me sort of almost in an off-the-record setting. A very small groups. People feel comfortable in those groups. But six to seven people max where you would basically let people vent for the first 15, 20 minutes, kind of get all the stuff out. Basically what I ended up calling it was a bitch fest, but uh, it really worked out well. People can kind of vent, talk about everything, some some very trivial things or some serious things. And then I would actually reshift everybody's energy saying, okay, how do we solve these problems? Like, what are our main problems that we have? How do we work to sort of solve these problems? So in, in essence, uh, as time went on, the complaining went down significantly where people would just come in and they would actually start talking about, hey, I thought about a way to solve this or I thought about a way to solve that. And that was really how it evolved was to get people thinking proactively, not just showing up and actually doing you know, customer service uh, and going home, but really figuring out how you can actually make it into a very well situation, and we had a need for it since the business was um, was selling and people were just weren't interested. So it worked out really well, and I kind of took that with me to uh, various other companies as well to uh, to help um, you know solve some major problems. And again, it worked out uh, worked out really well, and it was some really really good things. We used it in some startup companies, uh, used it in uh, some large companies, uh, and uh, the success was really good. And actually, over this past couple of weeks, I was at a um, luncheon session. And someone was having some um, some challenges with uh, employee customer service satisfaction and quality, and I actually volunteered to give them what uh, I call the Quality Cafe program. And hopefully, they've actually used it. We had some initial chats um, with this person, but gave them the sort of essence of it and some of the blueprints, and see they put it to good use. But it's definitely a program that I think um, works really well. Uh, so you know, I think also too in in my career, um, what I also prided myself on, and I see a lot of challenges. That I was on time and never late, no matter what the situation. I, mean, I had to either be seriously injured on my deathbed, being sick or whatever it is, but I would show up a couple minutes early to a meeting, would always be, be there till the end. You know, sometimes it was the first one to kind of show up or you know, be there and be on time and see people strolling in. I get people's meetings run over, but to me, um, somebody being late, I felt that was really, um, really kind of a knock against them. And I just didn't feel like it was really showing the person, you know, being very loyal and that may be strong to some people, but at the end of the day, you know, you rely on people to get things done on time and quickly, and you just have to juggle things. And you know, we all go through times where we have tons and tons of meetings at the same time, and you got to figure out a way to balance it. And, you know, I think that's one area where I was, really, I was always really strong with is balancing my time, negotiating with people saying, I can't make that meeting, or I'm going to be late, let's move the meeting a little bit. So that way, in, and I've seen it now where, you know, in some companies, you know, people are, you know, they call it the 15-minute rule where a meeting runs over and, you know, they're 15 minutes late to the next meeting and the next meeting and the next meeting. It's just not good productivity at all. And I found being part of those meetings, you get little or nothing done. You set up a next meeting to follow up and meet. So um, you really got to have some good, clear decisions coming out of, and good, clear actions coming out of each meeting. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I felt I was able to really kind of hone some of that with, with my teams. Um, and I felt... A big area of success was putting structure at uh, several startup companies that I worked at, some small companies. Um, they had some customer service issues, and I was able to put metric supports together, um, view various you know, programs that they had, 
uh, clean those things up, and especially new hire programs. Always felt that some of the companies that went into, you know, they didn't really have a, a pipeline created for candidates, especially in call centers or customer service. You should have what I would call resumes and drawers where you have people almost readily available to interview in a moment's notice, especially if you get the number of people leaving or your attrition starts to dip. Uh, you should have a key number of people. So I felt I was able to really do a lot of good with new hiring programs, um, put together metric supports, as I mentioned, so that way we can analyze things. A very good analyst in, in analyzing, you know, let's say calls, what trends are actually going on with all the calls or what trends employees are having. Um, and speaking of new hire programs, I think one of the things that still amazes me as I was looking at my numbers, and I, I couldn't believe I've actually interviewed over 4,000 people at job fairs, uh, various employee job fairs, internal, external, um, and I really kind of see what people do well and don't do well. And I think one piece of advice for everybody listening is is that people are not prepared when they come to interviews. Um, some people, you know, at higher levels, let's say at the executive level or senior level, you might see them prepare quite a bit more. But I always felt even entry level, let's say manager positions or even director positions I've interviewed people for, I kind of felt they just sort of come and show up and interview and expecting the job in a way. Um, and I'd ask some serious questions about their um, sort of experience or give me examples of how you would solve this type of problem. And I would ver get very much a watered down answer and uh, really didn't get a lot of substance behind it. So I always felt most of the time people just didn't seem to be prepared or really didn't want to um, want to be there. Uh, and, and obviously those people who you know didn't seem interested were, were not hired. And you know that's where you got to sort of take that tough line or tough stance is to make sure you're hiring the right people. Um, so I pride myself now I'm able to find a lot of a lot of trends in what I see and, and pretty much in the first 10 to 15 seconds you, I think you could really kind of tell if this person is going to be good or not and, you know the way they are the way their appearance you know they professionally dressed do they seem interested you know you can see people being distracted I've actually had people answer their cell phone within the first couple minutes of an interview I think that may be kind of funny but you know in, in reality it's really kind of uh, Sad. I've actually had somebody bring their, their child to the job interview, which is an unfortunate situation. But again, you're coming in for a management position. You should be very well prepared. You've got a lot of time uh, to do that. And, you know, I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, big success for me is just working at the Red Cross. I took a risk, a really huge risk. Uh, it was very uncomfortable. But, you know, as I said before, when you when you get yourself in uncomfortable situations, that's really where you grow. Uh, yes, it's very feels very fearful. There's a lot of nervous energy. But if you really want to grow, you can't stay comfortable. You got to get out of that comfort zone of life and, and take risks and take opportunities. And I see a lot of people don't really do that. They kind of get into the management position, then they go to another company and get into another management position, and you know they kind of follow suit. For me, what can I do better next, or where can I go next? I'm always sort of looking to uh, sort of make that next move. So switching gears a little bit, we talked about my successes. Uh, let's talk about failures. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they hear the word failure, they really think, oh, I'm a failure, I'm terrible, I'm a horrible person. You know, failure is part of life. And you know, I think that's one of the biggest stigmas we got to really continue to to solve is, is you know, people failing, that's, that's part of life. I mean, you're going to get into situations where you try something that doesn't work, you fail. It doesn't mean that you're a failure personally, unless you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again for same number of times expecting a different result. I mean, to me, that's that's kind of the definition of insanity. But you know, if you fail, you move on. You take the lessons you learn, apply them next time, and hopefully you get closer to that. And I think I've always gone back on um, you know, with Edison creating a light bulb. I mean, he found 2,000 ways how not to put a light bulb together. Um, so you just see, you know, you got to be tireless with your work ethic and continue to really push yourself. And you fail, you take a lesson from it, don't take it personal, and, and move forward. And I think one of my, my biggest mistakes, or let's say failures, was early on I settled a lot. You know, even though I did really well, I didn't really follow my dream in the beginning. 
But, you know, if you look at the polls that are out there, about 60% of us really kind of settle into jobs. And that's unfortunate because you're not truly going to be happy, may not truly be yourself, bring it into other relationships like with your family, friends, or even kids, you know, bring it home from work. Uh, you struggle uh, to really find something. I think sometimes that's why we see people shift from job to job. They're just sort of going out maybe for the money or, or something, and they're really not probably in the right career. And, and even being in the customer service industry, I found so many people who have, you know, had the job and they're good, but you could just see they're not getting to that next level where they're a superstar and they're just not passionate. They're just there to collect the paycheck. And to me, you shouldn't be there just to collect the paycheck. It's, it's your future. It's what you should be doing. It's what you're most passionate about. If you're not passionate about it, then you should get out. Um, I think, too, sometimes I was very, very competitive in the beginning. And competitive is not a bad thing. And I like to be competitive. I like to be number one. Um, that's a given. I think most people should drive for that. But I think early on in my career, I was competitive to the point where I would sort of be oblivious to some things. Uh, for example, I hired um, eight staff members together on a call sign. Paper swapped. Really wanted to build a new young team. Um, and I think in some cases I might have overstepped some things as far as you know interview process I might have overlooked things and that happens I'm not perfect but I really felt competitively I wanted to kind of be number one I thought this is a great idea at the time it seemed great I think it possibly could have worked had I dug a little deeper and probably found the right people and maybe spent a little bit more time sort of interviewing getting in depth but I really wanted to get a good team out there and get them trained and within about let's say four to five months uh, all of those people were were gone or fired so. Just unfortunate, but again, it was a risk I took. Um, would I have changed it? Sure, I might have actually interviewed, as I said, dug a little deeper, um, probably done some little things differently there. But you know, again, that's all part of growing and, and you know, kind of getting experience. Um, team expectations is probably another area where, in the beginning, um, I wasn't so good at. You know, I was, I think, too lenient. Um, I let people come and go sometimes as they please. I kind of overlook some things, not be consistent. And I think that's sort of why most companies today you see fail. Many people get fired the expectations are so low and they're not clear you know you come in and you know i come into companies or i'll come into another department at a company i'm traveling and say hey what's the goals what's this you don't see anything and they say oh we're not really sure we haven't really heard we're not we're waiting for our goals to come out and it's kind of a common theme i've, I've seen but you've got to be very clear in your expectations with your employees what you're expecting you know from the point of you know when they come in that door what are you, what are you expecting them to do should they be sitting in their seats should they be actually uh, collaborating with team members um, what's the late policy that you have? Um, what's the policy on you know meeting expectations or exceeding? You know, do you have a performance plan? You really got to be very communicative with all that stuff too, because people want to know how they're doing and how how well they're doing it or they're not. And you owe it to them to to really be very specific. Um, and in most cases, I've actually worked with managers where there's like, hey, I just don't know what the expectations are. Or, you know, I've even seen directors do that, and yeah, I'd be shocked at that. Saying, okay, you're at a director level position and you're not really sure what your expectations are. Um, and I've always said, hey, if you don't know, talk to your department head, talk to your boss, talk to HR, and figure out who you need to talk to to kind of get the expectations. Because before you know it, people are going to be running all over the place and you're going to have a bad situation. And I think so many people kind of sit back and coast. But early on, I was a little bit sketchy and my expectations wasn't as clear as I could have been and had some some bad performing teams. But you know, as you gain more experience, you learn what works, what doesn't, and you are very much forced to put in um, clear expectations. I think also, too, another area um, where in the beginning I learned a lot from was sort of the best friend mentality. Um, you know, early on, I'd always sort of want to be more of a, a friend or be liked by my employees. And 
that's really the wrong approach. You need to be respected, not liked by your employees. And I still see so many people looking for the hey, you know, they gotta like me. I can't. My employees are also there to do a job, and you have to investments to employees, and it really for a bad situation because there could be HR issues, not being consistent with people, and I've seen that happen. And it really does a disadvantage to your employees because you're being best friends and you're not judging them fairly on their performance that they're terrible. You got to get them out the door or got to get them the training that they actually need. Um, but again, that's you know that's something early on where I learned some valuable lessons and was able to really turn that around. And I look for people who you know it's a two-way street of respect. I respect them; they respect me. We come in to do a job. We have a common goal, common theme, and common expectations. And that's the key for being a very successful department. And that's why a lot of my teams. Um, early on, you know, my career sort of suffered, but as I was able to kind of put all that together, had great successes. Most of my teams and departments were in the top in their employee engagement, uh, tops in their performance. And if I had low-performing folks, I'd work with them to try to figure out how I can actually help them. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to fire somebody or you really don't want to get rid of somebody. That's that's a tough thing. People have lives and you want to help them. But if they're not cutting it, they're not you know, meeting your expectations at some point, you got to cut them loose and you got to get the right people in there. And unfortunately, that's, that's part of life, but that's job you got to do. And that took me some uh, some time. So those are all my career successes and failures. And hopefully some of those stories to some of you listening who might be you know, new to the show or you know, kind of new in your career or even sort of in your established career have gained some, um, some valuable insight. Um, you know, I always like to kind of share, you know, what I, you know, what's worked well, what's not worked well. And I think in this day and age, you really, really got to be open and let people know how it is, how you're feeling, what you did well, what you didn't. And Another sort of um, sugarcoating that goes on. I, I still see sometimes, too, um, people like to do a lot of sugarcoating when they give feedback. Um, that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, and I think it, again, is a disservice. You know, when I was, as I said, in the call center industry, um, there was a lot of quality programs that were actually set up for people to, um, if somebody did really bad, you would still try to figure out some kind of positive to give them. Well, if you had somebody swearing at a customer and hanging up on a customer, there's no positive in that, unfortunately. You can't say, hey, you answered the call. That's a positive. That's BS. And let's face it. The person really stunk on the call, and you got to call it out. Because, again, if you don't, then, to me, you're not really doing a good service to that employer or to the company. Uh, and, obviously, if someone is a decent employee, they come to work, and they're good, and you know, you, you got to find some good in, in calls. But you can't make the stuff up or make it work to where you're softening sort of the blow of giving bad news. Um, you know, don't do that disservice. Uh, that, that's that's something. Something I think it's very important. Sorry about that. Again, we actually just had a, another power outage here. The power just went out for a minute. So unfortunately, when you're sometimes connected to a landline, um, that's what's going to happen. So I have a backup Wi-Fi, and uh, that seemed to also go on the fritz. We got some lightning and stuff here. So going to make for an interesting night um, down the beach. Um, so actually, I was, as I was saying, I was attending Ibris and with uh, Joe White, who's America's breakthrough expert and life coach. Um, and a master firewalk instructor with the Firewalk Institute of Research and Education. So this was a day and a half seminar. Um, I think it really truly gets you to examine where you are and, and where you want to go. And people say, what's I breakthrough? It's really for you to break through a lot of uh, personal issues, personal challenges that you had. You know, sometimes people have very deep issues. People are severely depressed or, you know, just you're kind of going, you know, through life, going through the motions and you might be happy with things, um, but you want a little bit more, or you could be very, very happy. But how do you improve upon yourself? Because let's face it, we're always working to improve ourselves and be you know, the best we can each day. Um, but this seminar is is a really cool seminar, and you really explore patterns that you run. Uh, I'll give you one pattern. One pattern is actually called the crazy eight pattern. So if you look at the figure eight, 
Um, it's an interesting way of seeing how we run patterns. And patterns are basically ways that we actually do things. You know, we could go from being very happy one minute to very depressed the next minute, or angry and sad to depressed, or happy to, to sad. Um, and that's kind of where you go back and forth. Um, but I think also, too, some of the things that you'll find is, you know, in the seminar, you know, you'll find that you give things meaning that really aren't accurate. You know, you tell a story or um, you you kind of justify things, why they are what they are, and you really kind of break through the essence of, of why you're doing that and how to sort of get yourself unstuck. And you also go through the um, six human needs that actually uh, Tony Robbins uh, created. It's a great way of looking deep into why you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes you might be getting that uh, sort of uh, quick self-satisfaction very quickly instead of going long-term. Um, and then finally, really what you come out of this is getting to what you're, what's called your I state, which is really where you're abundant and fulfilled in your life. Uh, it's a really cool seminar. Uh, so go to the uh, getlifecoaching.com website to find more about it uh, or look up uh, Coach Joe White. And uh, he's got a lot of uh, great blogs and great information on uh, breakthroughs. Um, he's one of my best friends and uh, he's been very great uh, uh, companion and a uh, good guy. And uh, check out his information. It's, uh, it's really good stuff. So as we get ready to close here for this week's show, um, I'll be turning 40 in two days. So thought about how can I actually give back and what can I uh, give to people as far as a piece of career advice? You know, you've heard my successes, failures, and challenges and sort of what I've learned. Um, but I think probably one of the most important things that we don't do is we're not proactive. So I think the one piece of advice I can give to people is being prepared for your next two moves. And, you know, what would that mean in essence? So basically, um, you know, you never want to settle. You want to keep moving all the time. Um, and I think the moment you settle into a job where um, you kind of get in there, and you get very comfortable, you become too comfortable to the point, And I think you start losing interest and you might necessarily not do the great job or do the best job. Um, but I'm not saying you have to move out of that position outside that department, but look always to take on some more opportunities and roles because I think if you kind of settle, usually what you see is those are people that are always let go of the first or um, they're not happy and the performance suffers. Um, so when I say, you know, prepare for your next two moves, you know, if you're in a job right now, think about in a year from now where you want to be. Do you still want to be in that same job? Do you want to be in a higher level position? Do you want to be in another area? Is this kind of an entry level for you or you serve at the twilight of your career where you're going to retire? What are those moves, you know, that you need to make? And, and I think I settle on two moves because you look at where you want to be in the next year, but also you got to plan a little bit long term. And, and none of us knows where we're really going to be in five years or ten years, but I think you really have to have that three to five year plan. So you, in essence, that first move is where do you want to be over the next year? And the second move is, you know, three to five years, where do you see yourself being? And what you also do is look at ways you can actually um, get to those levels. You obviously have to set goals, clear expectations, uh, very uh, tangible goals too, where you don't say, hey, I just want to be a lawyer in a year. Okay, what are the things you, you need to do? I want to be a, let's say, a divorce attorney, or I want to be a um, you know, doctor. Well, what kind of doctor do you want to be? Do you want to be a medical doctor? Do you want to be a surgeon? Do you want to be a dentist? Um, those are things that you got to get very, very specific on. And once you can really do those, then you can figure out, okay, what are the things you need to do to get there? You need to take you know, class, you need to go to college, or need some additional training that you actually need to get you to a management level, or you need some of that experience, and it may not necessarily be at that company. So what I always do is I keep a notebook that's always kind of handy where I write ideas and thoughts down and sort of keep my, my specific goals and say, okay, in a year, this is where I want to be. You know, I want to be at a senior director level, or I want to be at a director level, but I want to be overseeing this type of industry or this type of call center, something like that. And you look at it weekly, look at it monthly, make sure you're on track because if you, the moment you put that down and don't go to it, 
then you're going to, again, be settling and be in that same job and really not know where you're going. And, you know, you, I'd rather have you be the person that's kind of in control or in your driver's seat instead of a company or someone else being in a driver's seat. And let's face it, that's what I think happens now is a lot of people really are sort of um, in the passenger seat of life, in the passenger seat of their job, and you get outsourced, you get out of a job, and um, then you're stuck looking for your, your next move. So always be proactive. Uh, it's hard to do, but it does take a lot of preparation, but preparation is key to to get in there and, and do the best you very much can. So that's actually all the time we had today. Uh, it's been a pleasure being with you guys now for some nine, ten weeks. So the show is definitely growing. Uh, we're really doing well audience-wise. We have anywhere from, let's say, 50 to 60 live people, and right now it's an average of about 150, 200 people that typically uh, listen to the show thereafter, and that's the beauty of this. It's live. People can call in for help or we have a live guest, and then you can listen to this uh, after as long as you like. It's on iTunes now, which is awesome. And uh, we've got a lot of good guests coming up over the next couple months. Um, give you a little bit of a hint. We are looking at uh, somebody pretty pretty famous who's in the technology industry and somebody who's a voiceover artist that we're trying to lock down for uh, September, and a very big name. And if you have an iPhone um, and, and you know that particular um voice that's on there, that's who we're looking at, and uh, we're getting ready to lock that uh, that date and time down, so very exciting. Um, so I appreciate everybody listening in and uh, supporting me here. That's all the time we have tonight. Join me uh, next week, Tuesday, 8 o'clock Eastern, for another show. Thank you again all for listening, uh, being a part of this journey, and good night, everybody, and live amazing.